I'm Amy Lettingham. I'm a master certified dating and relationship coach. And I'm Kevin Lettingham, Amy's husband and a former reality and docuseries TV producer director. And together we want to welcome you to Sex, Love, and Mindful Dating. In today's show, we're going to talk about one of my favorite human connection paradigms, the power of vulnerability. And to do that, we're going to head back into the pods to break down the couple's dating habits in the second installment of Love is Blind. By the way, if you like our show and would like to hear more of them, the best way to make that happen is by hitting the subscribe button and giving us a five-star review. It really helps. Thank you. Please note that if you have not watched the show, there are spoilers ahead. Before we get into episode two, Amy, can you talk about vulnerability and, and what that really means? So for those of you that don't know Dr. Brene Brown, you need to go Google her right now, just to let you know. She's the unofficial leader of the vulnerability movement, and she talks about the power of vulnerability. She is a researcher. She's a speaker. She is a podcaster. And she says vulnerability is defined as uncertainty, risk, emotional exposure, She also says that it's the birthplace of love and belonging, joy, courage, empathy, and creativity. Vulnerability is powerful because of the fact that you get to show up as your authentic self. And when somebody can see that authentic self and they love you, and I'm talking flaws and all, right? And that person accepts you and loves you, that creates a deep bond that's almost unbreakable. So when you're vulnerable, why is that important to dating then? Well, one of the things just with you and I, when we first met, um, I, you know, have a really tough past growing up. And I remember being very shameful of my past and thinking I'm too dysfunctional to get a great guy, you know, or a normal guy. Uh, I only dated guys that lacked boundaries, had maybe alcohol issues, drug issues because of the fact of thinking of my own dysfunction uh, of growing up. But when I met you and I told you about my background, my upbringing, you didn't judge me and you saw how hard I worked in changing my life. And instead of shaming me, you actually called it courageous and that made me bond with you and I'm tearing up talking about it, but that's an important part of vulnerability. You made me feel safe and secure. I remember that on our first date because the first date didn't start off all that well, if I remember. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it was a little bit awkward at first. And then when you got vulnerable, I remember it turning. I do remember it turning. And I remember specific stories, too, uh, about that. And it wasn't just that you were vulnerable. I mean, the vulnerable part was important, but you were also, it was what you were vulnerable about. It told me about your character. And that's what was the most important thing. And that's the mistake that a lot of people think vulnerability is about just sharing. And that's not it. It's really about owning who you are and demanding that acceptance that the person across from you accepts you exactly the way you accept yourself 100%. All right. So let's um, move on to uh, Love is Blind. And then obviously, as we move on through the show, we'll highlight some of the moments where vulnerability becomes a big part of the dating process. 
First up is Cameron and Lauren, who are arguably the stars of this series, and they get to meet each other for the very first time. And what happens? Tears, tears, tears coming out again. (laughs) It was so hard um, to not cry because you could see how much love there was. And the two of them just so excited. And they just, they looked like they belonged together. I'd actually seen the episode twice now. And even the second time I watched it, I went and teared up. They are just so bonded. One thing I saw in the two of them, and this is why I teach conscious dating, because I feel that they're both very self-aware people that are very conscious. They're wholehearted. You know, they're not looking for someone to fill their gaps. They're already a full, confident human being, and they're looking for someone to add value to their life. That's a different type of attitude. They're very authentic, genuine, and they know themselves. So what we're seeing is two conscious people falling in love. And if you have another couple that is not conscious, we're not going to see that. No. If you have two people that aren't mindful or self-aware, that haven't worked on themselves and still have a lot of baggage, you're going to see those two types of people will connect. And that's going to be a lot of difficulties. And I think that's why as we go down the line, some of those couples do mimic that. So that is a perfect segue into Mr. Ukulele himself, Barnett. Uh, Now, Barnett doesn't just have one woman he's going after, not two, three women in pods that he is very much into. That's Elsie, Amber, and Jessica. So, Amy, tell me, what do you think? Is it possible for someone to be connected, not interested, but connected to three different women at the same time? Absolutely, you can. You can have a connection in with each person in a different way. In the real world, I actually believe that it's important to date multiple people at the same time. I would use an example of buying a car. You wouldn't go and buy the first car you drove, right? You would actually go to different dealerships and look at different cars and different features. So I think it's smart to know uh, your options before you make a final choice. And I think that's what Barnett is doing in a way. There are parts of these women that he really connects with in different levels. But the problem is he doesn't really know himself. So he's not clear of why he's connecting with them. He just knows he connects with them. When we first started dating, how many people were you dating? Well, I'm far from a player, but I was seeing four different guys, and including yourself, as you're the fifth guy. <laughs> I remember. I remember there was uh, a few of them. I, we, we gave them all nicknames, by the way, to keep track. I remember Yardhouse, Yardhouse. who aptly worked at Yardhouse. Uh, there was the guy in the overalls. What was his nickname? He was Fancy Farmer John. And then there was Ed Hardy. Ed Hardy, like the t-shirts. Yeah, he liked to wear a lot lot of Ed Hardy clothes. Ouch was trying to date me. Ouch, that's right. I do remember (laughs) ouch because the guy saw Amy one day coming out of an elevator and went, ouch. (laughs) Um, It took me some time to vet. And I was honest. I told Kevin, I said, hey, listen, I'm dating multiple people, um, but I'm not sleeping with any of them. I'm just getting to know them. I'm doing this so I can pick the right one. I'm not doing this to just date and fill the void. So if you're okay with that, let's keep dating. And we kept on dating. So (laughs) That's true. And by the way, uh, full disclosure, I was dating no one else. Really? No, just you. Wow. Well, you screwed up. Just kidding. (laughs) 
I knew very early on, pod or no pod, I knew this was the girl I was going to marry. Anyways, moving on. We don't want to get bogged down with too many of our stories. Uh, all right. So let's talk about each of the, the three women. And let's start with LC, the redhead, who is, I think, really cool, uh, seems very smart. And one thing Barnett says about her is that they're very much alike. And is that a good thing? Do you remember we talked in the last episode, I talked about if you have core values that are good, that are similar, that's a good thing. And then if you have core values that are bad, like bad bad personality traits that are similar, that will ruin the relationship or even cause a lot of conflict, right? Uh, So I feel LC actually has the good core values that he had, and that's why he bonded with her. But I will say she didn't turn him on like the other girls because she wasn't as edgy and as like, there's a little hot mess that he's attracted to. And that brings us to Amber. Yes. Now, Amber is someone who Barnett describes as... Amber excites me, but scares the living hell out of me. If I don't propose, she's going to whip my ass. Wow. (laughs) That's fairly descriptive. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to ask you this. Before we got married, you were dating a lot of women. What do you think about women like Amber? Amber would have totally been someone I would have been interested in dating. Yes. As a girlfriend. Absolutely no chance I'd want to marry her. No. You know, she's pretty. She seems smart. She is vulnerable at times, and she's definitely a lot of fun. And I think Barnett sees that too. But the thing is, is like when you're looking for a long-term partner, there are a few red flags that would probably keep me from wanting to ask her to marry me. And I think things that Barnett says are pretty clear, like, you know, you don't want to piss her off or she's going to get super mad. Um, I don't know what they talk about in that pod, but it seems like some stuff happened that Barnett is a little bit afraid of her. Um, and she also seems like she's a little immature, like she's finding herself a little bit. And I think if you're looking for a long-term partner, you want maturity and someone who's going to make good choices in their life. And I, I'm just not sure Amber is that person. So, you know, I think one of the things I see about Amber is that uh, there's an extreme lack of boundaries. She's kind of, she's really fun, but there's still a lot of growing up to, to be done there. And I think she puts herself in situations probably that makes her a little bit dangerous. Now, I think the most interesting thing about Amber and Barnett is the story where Amber goes into getting pregnant and having an abortion. I thought it was so courageous of her to be honest and real. And she owned what was going on in her life. And her boyfriend at the time did not support her emotionally, wasn't there for her. And she was stuck doing this whole process alone. And she asked Barnett, would you be there for me? He didn't answer. I don't know if that was an edit or not, but he did not answer. I know there was, it was like, it was a silence for a little while. Those things are going to come out. If you're going to consider marriage with a person, they should know all of you. And if they're going to judge you on it, and if they're going to tell you that what you did was wrong, then you know your core values don't align and it's not going to work. So it was good that she brought it up. And because of her vulnerability, she created a connection with Barnett in a deep way, more than just the party fun girl. Door number three, or in the case of this show, pod number three, is Jessica. Now, Jessica has been totally into Barnett 
from the get-go, but everything's a little bit murky here because not only does Barnett have his two other options, but Jessica's been kind of courted by Mark. So what do you think about this little group of Barnett, Mark, and Jessica? I will say, like, Barnett has been very transparent. He was honest with how he felt when she came in and asked him, do you still feel the same about me as you did last night? And he couldn't answer. And he was like, well, what we're seeing is just a lot of lack of self-awareness, active listening, and she's not really reading between the lines. I think if she was more vulnerable with Barnett, she would have gotten Barnett. Yeah, she didn't ask. She would just started attacking him and saying, you don't know what you want, and just biting. I mean, just really hurtful words. And I understand because she feels hurt, but there's a way to approach it. And she didn't do it the, the best way. I know. And that brings us back to Mark and going back into the pod. And now it's an episode of Survivor because she does not want to leave the island alone. So she goes back to Mark and says, I want to be with you. It was all a mistake, which I don't know. That made me really sad. I felt really bad for him because he said, I don't want to be second fiddle. I'll never be second fiddle. And then he was second fiddle. Yeah. And he's still settled. But he claims to love her. So I guess you're willing to play second fiddle if you're in love. Well, I think I wouldn't call that love. The way he expressed it, it was really, it sounded like it was out of desperation to hang on to her. He could feel he was losing his grip on her. Well, the way that Lauren and Cameron say I love you is heartfelt and real. But then Mark and the way he used love was more of a... Just throwing it out there. And he says, "I, I, I, I don't just care about you. I love you. It's crazy. But he didn't say, I love you. He goes, I love you. It's crazy. Quickly. Yeah. And that was the first time he probably used that word. That's just not the way the word love should come out the first time. I remember where I was when I said I loved you. Do you? Yes. Where was I? We are in my loft, my apartment. We were laying in bed. Yeah, I don't know why. We I weren't that. doing anything kinky. We were cuddling. <laughs> I don't know why I picked that particular moment. It just hit me. And you turned over and you actually teared up. I love that you teared up. Okay, by the way, everyone thinks I really cry a lot. <laughs> I don't cry all that much. It just happens to be in this show and when I said I love Cuddling. you to my wife. <laughs> so that's it. I mean, when you think about moments of love, they should be more like moments of feeling, yeah. not moments of argument and despair Yeah. and control. Yes. And I think he was using it as a way to kind of reel her back and saying, I love you, you can't leave, rather than saying, I love you because it's a feeling I have. I will say the word that you mentioned sticks with me and Mark is the word control. Everything that he does in a way is to help control the situation so he can conquer rather than consciously choose. And I see that, and I'm hoping as we watch the next episode, it changes, but that's what I'm seeing. The interesting thing, I always imagine, you know, these these contestants, they see the show later. They see the, the missing gaps. Can you imagine being in the room and watch Mark, watch the scenes with him and Jessica, then Jessica and Barnett? I mean, 
it will probably change the way he looks at Jessica. And if they are together, it's going to be fascinating to hear. Oh my gosh, that's true. I it's going to fill in a that. lot of blanks. I'd like to take a moment to talk to you about my free ebook, Five Dating Traps to Avoid. It gives you tips to avoid all the traps that make your heart break. So go to amythedatingcoach.com. And that's spelled A-M-I-E, thedatingcoach.com. We're moving on to the next couple, and that's going to be Carlton and Diamond. Diamond is the former NBA dancer, and Carlton is the guy who keeps telling us in interviews that he used to sleep with men, and for some reason decides to not tell the woman he is interested in proposing to. Is that something that is produced, you think, or is that... At one point, I started thinking, do you think the producers are actually telling him in advance not to do it until you propose with someone because it, if I was a producer, that's what I would do. I'd be like, let's hold off on this. This is great. This is going to create drama. But my understanding is the way this show was set up is everybody went into pods, met everybody else, and then they would start keeping a, a list of who they wanted to talk to. And if the person that they wanted to talk to wanted to talk to them back, then they could go back into the pods. Oh, So the first part is like speed dating. And then after that, they get to talk to the people that match with them. Exactly. So as the other person wrote, I want to talk to Diamond, but Diamond didn't want to talk to that person anymore. They wouldn't force that. They're done. Interesting. I did not know that. So Carlton and Diamond were clearly interested in each other. And he probably doesn't want to tell someone he's not interested in. Maybe he's like, I don't need to share that with someone I'm not interested in. So early on... Not something you need to share. But right before he's going to propose, you th- you think he's going to tell her because he's so obviously interested in telling the audience, he just doesn't. It just was. It just seems odd to me. He said that he wanted to be loved and appreciated for who he was fully, but he never fully shared everything with her. I guess the question is, can you be partially vulnerable? You know what Brene Brown said is the courage to stand up and own all of you. And I think he's owning part of him. And the this other part, I feel like there's still work that he needs to do, that there's some shame behind it. He's constantly saying, no one's ever accepted me fully. But really, has he accepted himself fully to be honest and share the whole truth to someone like Diamond? I know. It's it's strange. But he did end up proposing to her, and it was heartfelt, and I do believe he really does care for her, and she cares for him, so I guess we'll see what happens after the proposal. Uh, That makes them couple number two to get engaged. Let's move on to Kenny and Kelly. Uh, I'll be honest, they're probably the least interesting characters of the group, but uh, they are bonding, uh, and they seem to be vulnerable as well. They talk a lot about being alone. You know, they talk about the loneliness they both feel. What do you think about that? Isn't that crazy? Like attracts like. (laughs) Yeah, so um, it seems like both of them probably struggle. I actually think Kenny was more vulnerable than Kelly. Kelly has a hard time even showing affection. Like even when he said, I love you, he had to say it first. And then she was like, yeah, I love you too. I think they're going to be the couple we'll see the least moving forward. Yeah. 
I don't think there's going to be a lot of TV drama with the two of them, which unfortunately for the show doesn't make good TV. But that's why you have people like Jessica and Mark and Barnett, uh, because they're great TV. Kenny ends up proposing to Kelly, and then uh, that makes them couple number three, uh, which is pretty amazing. So you've got six cast members, six contestants, whatever you want to call them, that are are now engaged uh, out of 30 or so, which is which is pretty amazing. Let's move on to Damien and Giannina. Uh, we can call her Gigi. That's what she goes by, I guess, in her everyday life. Uh, I do find them to be legitimately interested in each other. Do you? Yeah, I actually do think they are interested in each other. She does say something that's quite interesting, um, that she always self-sabotages all the time when it comes to relationships. I personally know that I used to self-sabotage when I was dating. Like, if I really, really liked a guy... um, just because of my background, just because I thought maybe I was too dysfunctional to get a quality guy. So if I met a guy that was like really, I would put him on a pedestal, I'd freak out and I would self-sabotage because I was afraid of him hurting me. So I'd hurt him first. Yeah, it seems like a defense mechanism. When you say I self-sabotage, you're basically saying I'm going to likely do something in the future that you will not like. Yeah. So, but the one thing is she's being honest, vulnerable and transparent. Well, that doesn't stop Damien from proposing. I do think it's one of the oddest, if not the oddest, proposal I've seen in a long time. It starts off with him asking Giannina to grab a box that's in her pod. She opens the box. It's empty. Then he takes out a bow in his side of the pod and puts it on his wrist. Now, I'm assuming the bow was supposed to be in the box. And he ties the bow on his wrist and says... Because I'm going to give you all of me. I am your gift. Yeah, Gigi's face. She was like, huh? <laughs> it was really? the. I know he was trying to be romantic, but didn't read well. And it was kind of strange. It was really odd. I. He seemed angry and kind of upset. I'm not sure what he was trying to say. I know I'm your gift. That's like more selfish than thoughtful, right? I absolutely agree. If he's giving himself as a gift... You know, and he's thinking, I'm the treasure I'm giving you. Well, then what is what is she to him then? That's yeah. the part that I'm kind of confused. Like, isn't she a gift as well? Like, there should have been, like, we're both gifts to each other. So it tells me that he might be a little bit selfish on his side. And I'm sure we'll see more of what happens in the next episodes. So after he says, I'm your gift... He does get on one knee and asks Gigi to marry him. Yeah. And then... There was a long pause, really long one, and they acted out. They did. They ended the show on that proposal, which was a good act out. And it did look like she really paused. Sometimes shows can actually like manipulate the pause, but you could see he got up from one knee. There was a real pause in there. So we don't know what she's going to say. We'll have to wait till episode three to find out if uh, Gigi accepts Damien's proposal. That brings us to the end of this episode for the show. But I think now we should dig into some of the takeaways that you have for our listeners out there. Number one is to understand the power of vulnerability. It's okay to let people get to know your innermost feelings and life experiences by being vulnerable. Know that vulnerability does create deep connections. And in order to be vulnerable, you have to take risk. You have to show up. 
And sometimes you may get rejected or judged and it's okay. You need to accept yourself 100%. Takeaway number two is before you commit, do not omit. You know, we talked about Amber's abortion story. She was very honest with Barnett and that built a bond for them. Now look at someone like Carlton and Diamond where he withheld that information. That's going to be something that can be very damaging because trust is a very important part of vulnerability. And when you omit information, you are creating the lack of trust in your relationship. My last takeaway is to use vulnerability to screen people in or out of your life. So if you share something very intimate and important to you, sit back and watch how the person reacts. Whether they accept it or don't accept it lets you know whether they belong in your life or not. Well, that's the end of the show today. We want to thank everyone for listening. And uh, hopefully next week, episode three will be even better than episode two. It's been a fun ride so far. Now, before we go, though, please remember, if you like the show, hit the subscribe button. Give us a five-star review. It'll help us get more shows to your ears. And also, let's say you want to talk to me privately. Come to my website. It's amythedatingcoach.com. A-M-I-E, thedatingcoach.com. And let's talk about your love challenges. Until the next time. Remember, if you want to be a mindful dater, you have to take charge of your love life. Adios. Bye-bye. Bye.